Hey, it's Jose Galison of No Way Jose. You can find me on the No Way Jose YouTube channel. I'm also on, on just about every major podcatcher and Odyssey as well. Definitely a big push for Odyssey these days. Uh, we'll probably be, I'm assuming we'll probably talk about the VAX at some point during this. And they've been, YouTube's been uh, really shoving, uh, really going after that content lately. So make sure to go on Odyssey. We had a similar issue on Tower Power not too long ago, but we also do a lot more. Uh, contentious content on uh on tower power so it could have been that stuff as well but they have been getting people for vax and they got the uh, got ron paul recently so yeah definitely go definitely start looking into alternate stuff whether it be the audio podcast or it's odyssey you know looking at that stuff today my guest is eric brakey the former main senator uh i also want to remind you guys again the different format we're doing now this is a live stream it will be available now uh for tonight and then i will put it on like an unlisted status until i release it later as a numbered episode this way and it will that will the it'll go to my patrons in the meantime so you know if you want to have ease of access as a patron you can go there also my patrons get the benefit of free super chats i keep free I, i'm really i'll be honest i'm really bad at being a patron uh running a patron because i was supposed to send out the co- the little thing for them to do uh super chats today so just say in the comment you're a patron uh, patron and i'll just have to take your word for it and I'll read it as if it was a super chat. Um, yeah, today, like I said, we have Eric. Uh, we'll be ta- probably talking about the paleo uh, paleo angle and some other stuff. Uh, as always, I like money. Give me money. Patreon.com slash NoWayJose2020. Go check out TopLobster.com as well. I'm currently wearing the Horton shirt in honor of Scott Horton uh, slaying the ne- Neocon today. I only caught the ass end of it. So if you guys want to let me know in the comments how it was, how it was. Very end seemed like uh, they probably went through a little bit of a brawl. That's the vibe I got, but I don't know. We'll see. What's up, pops? Um, that's popular everybody in the chat. All you guys should go check him out. And with that, let's go ahead and get into talking to Eric. Oop, what the heck? What's up, man? Hey, thanks for having hey. me on, Jose. Oh, no problem. Thanks for coming on. I was uh, definitely looking forward to this. I figured this would be fun. Um, so I want to see if you'd go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience for those who are unaware of who you are. Yeah, uh, I'll give the very condensed version. Um, so my name is Eric Brakey. I'm the senior spokesperson for Young Americans for Liberty. Uh, I've been a Liberty activist for about 10 years now, ever since I got started just as a young ragamuffin, you know, on the Ron Paul 2012 presidential campaign. Been going at it ever since. Had a lot of crazy adventures from uh, getting elected to the state Senate in my own state, passing constitutional carry, reform and welfare, making real progress on medical cannabis policy. Uh, and I ran for federal office twice. One of those times I was the uh, U.S. Senate nominee for the Republican Party in Maine. And um, now I'm working to really, uh, you know, you know, work with a lot of the, the younger folks uh, I, I'm 33 now. I don't know if I qualify as, as one of the younger folks anymore, uh, like I did 10 years ago when I was getting started. But uh, working with a lot of the younger folks at Young Americans for Liberty, helping make sure we're passing that torch on to the next generation so they can run with it. Because, boy, do we need people fighting for liberty these days more than ever. Yeah, ragamuffin. That's funny. It's it's, it's funny. Uh, I'm from Maine originally. So I was born in Maine. I moved uh, like halfway during high school to Tennessee. And then when yeah. I joined the military, I moved to Florida. So Maine is kind of like home. So it's funny when I talk to someone from Maine, just like I hear those isms coming back up. It just <laughs> it's nostalgic. It's kind of nice. I'm not teasing you. It's just it just you know it's kind of almost like that feeling of sitting a nice warm fire. You know, <laughs> kind of <laughs> like I'm home. Uh, Maine, yeah, Maine's it, a beautiful you know, state. 
and, uh, and a lot of great a lot of great people there it may, i love maine because it's like one of those states it's like it's still got that frontier attitude a lot of people like living on the edge of the wilderness who just want the government to leave them alone mind mind their business and just want to live their lives i mean these are the kinds of people i'll always remember in 2016 like maine people came out there were like referendums on the ballot maine people came out and voted to legalize marijuana and reject gun control at the same time it's like that's the leave me alone coalition that's what makes maine great yeah, the further north you get in Maine, the more it's a uh, more. It's like you go back in time. Is the further north you go? Uh, oh yeah, a, I got. Yeah. <laughs> I got people. You go up to like Aroostook County, uh, Aroostook County up there. Like I got whenever I go up there, I got like one like one person or another trying to recruit me to be like the governor of like you know Aroostook County when they secede and get away from those southern <laughs> Maine Portland folks. <laughs> yeah. It, it is funny. It's always so weird. I grew up in the rural area parts of Maine. It was always just so weird to me. I didn't really pay attention to politics as a little kid. When I get older, it's like, because Maine's kind of like a purplish, bluish state. And it's just yeah. like, I guess you forget how how much city areas there are. But it's like, because where I was, it was like, it was just woods. I would just go, yeah. like where I lived, it was just acres and acres and acres. I would just, for fun as a kid, just go play in the play in the woods, walk for miles as a little kid, like 10 years old. And it was, when it got dark, my mother would yell, uh, go outside and yell out the door to, to be like, come home. And sometimes I get lost, but it was like, whatever. But yeah, it's weird like to think, because th like, that is very conservative or libertarian, like that kind of life. And that's how I was yeah. brought up. But it is weird to think that Maine is so like purplish or bluish. So I'm just curious why you think that is, because I pretty much hung out in like the rural parts of Maine mostly. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, Maine, Maine really is different. Uh, you know, everyone thinks that their state is special. Like, yeah. I think Maine really is kind of special, at least in terms of like politically, it's 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 a it's an odd duck. Um, we got more registered, you know, well, uh, unenrolled independent voters than either of the two parties. People there really like the idea that they're independent, like people do wild things like <laughs> you just get so many people voting across the ballot and all kind of which ways. But I think that ultimately, at the end of the day, like, you know, Maine was like Democrat control for 40 years. But it was like the old school Democrats, like, mm -hmm. you know, uh, what Democrats used to be, you know, working class, blue collar, like this, this kind of this kind of woke wokeism of the new Demo Democratic Party. This 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 wokeism is maybe is popular in like Portland, Maine. But you get like the further you get out of the cities, it's uh, uh, working people who may, may have been Democrat for generations and generations are like becoming Republicans in mass. Um, because they just they feel like that party's left them behind. So it's it's an interesting it's an interesting dynamic. I think Republicans have done all right in Maine over the last decade. You know, it's kind of pendulum keeps swinging back and forth. But like it's it's really because you've had this kind of realignment of working class people. Yeah. So I'm kind of curious too with that like Maine spirit. How have they been handled? Because I'm really bad at paying attention with family back home or how this state's doing or that state doing. So I'm just kind of curious how they've been handling the COVID regime stuff. If that's been a how that's been on, on Maine's end, like how bad's it been? Cause I know I'm here in Florida right now. It's not too bad. Obviously it's a, yeah. it's not as good as it was before 2020, obviously. I mean, you know, it's funny. We say these certain States are doing well, but it's like, you're kind of grading on a curve. If you compare it to past life, it's still like, this is really spooky. <laughs> like if you told yeah. us this a couple of years ago, but I'm just curious how Maine's doing. If you could give us an update on that. Truth be told, I, um, I, it, it's been pretty bad in Maine. Um, I know I've been traveling the country a whole lot, like the last, the last few years. So, you know, working with young Americans for Liberty. So I haven't, uh, uh, been back on the ground as much as I would, as I, as I typically would be, but, you know, I'm in touch with people all the time. My, my folks, you know, I, I, 
And just think about just people who've been shut in their homes, not by choice, but because of these lockdowns. And it's like, even if you can officially go outside, if like all the activities that are, that would typically go on in life are like, are like closed down by, by, by the order of the governor. Uh, it's like, what do you do? How do you, so it's been pretty bad. Um, Kids were thrown out of school for a year. I mean, that's happened across a lot of the country. Uh, you have our, our governor, uh, who is a, a who is as authoritarian a Democrat as they come. Like sometimes there's Democrats who there's some redeeming qualities in. Like I think of like you know the old school ACLU civil libertarian Democrats. Like it's like all right, well I might disagree with you on you know a lot of economic policy stuff, but at least we can like stand together for civil liberties. Like the the current governor of Maine is the worst kind. She's just authoritarian through and through. She has just taken every opportunity to, uh, to, to, to like crack down on small businesses that are just trying to stay open and, and, and survive all this. Uh, she is, before Joe Biden even came out with his mandate on healthcare workers, she put her own mandate on healthcare workers. So all healthcare workers who don't get vaccinated are going to lose their jobs in Maine. And many of these folks are folks who, because they were on the front lines over the course of the last year, got COVID and recovered from it. And the preponderance of studies out there indicates they've got a stronger natural immunity to the, 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 the coronavirus of getting infected and spreading it to others than anyone who's just vaccinated alone. And yet they're losing their jobs. Like I got a guy, a guy who's a good friend of mine up in Aroostook County who's been working at a small nursing home for 10 years. Like he was jumping in there working with COVID positive patients when other people were afraid to. And now he's going to, he's going to lose his job. And what is he going to do for his, his wife and two kids? Like it's uh, these governors. And I, I guess I, I specifically feel it because, you know, uh, in Maine and what Janet Mills has done, but that's very similar to what, you know, Andrew Cuomo did in New York and Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan and all of these governors across the country. So many people over the course of the last two year, years, I think, has, have come to really, hopefully we really appreciate just how important these state elections are. And, you know, it, it's the difference between living in freedom and living in tyranny. Yeah, I mean, uh, mainstream left is just pretty pretty pathetic or just insufferable these days. Like, even you brought the ACLU. They're a joke these days. Like, uh, I mean, yeah, I know everyone thinks... Yeah, everyone thinks about the uh, them like you know with the, with the Nazis, the neo Nazis, and in, in the Jewish neighborhood like forever ago. But now here we are, and they uh, everything I've seen of them is just awful and just yeah. serving the, the regime. And I, aside from like Tulsi Gabbard, which even she has kind of been corrupted as of late. There, I don't see anything redeemable from the mainstream left, and the right is mostly just weak. So, but yeah. yeah. Well, well, I guess I would say this. I would say, well, one, it's it's interesting if you. There was an article, I think it was in the New York Times of all places, talking about the ACLU and this kind of changing of the guard that has in fact happened there. Like you go and you talk to like the old guard folks at the ACLU, the people who really founded this organization and built it into what it is today. And they're just as adamant about free speech as ever. And many of them are flabbergasted by this turn that the ACLU has taken. And it's because it's like this woke infiltration of the ACLU that has taken place. It's the new generation coming in and they don't care about civil liberties as much. I mean, they're called the American Civil Liberties Union, but they completely redefine civil liberties to fit like whatever the new woke agenda is. 
vaccine, universal vaccine mandates or pro-civil liberties. I mean, it, forcibly removing medical consent is civil liberties now, according to the ACLU. This is, this. It, it's, it's really sad because as much as I often disagreed with the ACLU in the past, I, I always respected them as an institution that stood for something, even when it wasn't necessarily popular and they've just lost it. Yeah, I know we like to get caught up in this left-right game, and, and some people define left and right different ways. I know a lot of people, as of late, have been defining left as chaos and right as order, and whatever. If that's fair, then that's the definition used. But the conventional left, the conventional right, there generally is a pendulum that swings. It seems to be roughly every decade or so. About a decade ago, the, the right was borderline insufferable, and it goes back and forth, back and forth. Uh, I know Pops is in the chat, and he, he likes to define it as I did with the right being order and the left being chaos. And if that's how you define it, it's fine. The whole left-right paradigm can get wishy-washy depending on how you define it. But I want just to, to switch up gears and start talking about the paleo movement. So I'll, I'll let you know kind of where I'm coming from first off. I'm of the opinion I would much rather people just don't engage in politics whatsoever. I actually think there's more in benefit and don't, like going like the agorist route. But I have order of preferences. So like I'm not saying that there's nothing good that can come of those. And the next thing that fall off that would be like the Hoppian route would be like, you know, localized type movements. I actually think they're kind of weirdly the agorism and the and the Hoppian kind of like almost like a mirroring of each other. Whereas the the Hoppian is like very much the same thing, but on a local level, like uh, utilizing like, uh, but doing it through a political route. But then now on the paleo side of things, I think there is, that's probably my third like prefer, preference or whatever. And I think there is something for like, I'll, this is how I'll put it. Um, I think there is something to having like an institution that kind of, you know, create makes itself a strong minority that is a voice for liberty, essentially. And I think it then will actually it can influence the larger party, if you will. And I kind of think that maybe I haven't really looked too much into YL. That sounds kind of sort of what it is. Uh, and I'll, I'll let you add, well, after we talk about the paleo a little bit, kind of explain more about what YAL is to everyone yeah. here. But uh, to me, that seems to be a pretty decent one. I think over time, in the long run, it's it'll it'll end up have I think will have complications. But for like the midterm towards like short term range, I think it's like ideal, especially compared to like the LP route. I don't, I'm I'm of the opinion that LP doesn't really have any redeeming qualities going that way. Yeah. Personally, I know a lot of people are going to disagree, yeah. and I'm not. I don't want to go into that. Uh, I've done plenty of episodes of why I don't think that's an advantageous route to go. But I'm kind of curious, like, what are your thoughts on like if that is a accurate representation of what you think the paleo route should be? kind of being like a shining beacon uh, for and kind of almost like this uh, say, for example, like with uh, you guys are almost like the you're knighting certain characters like Thomas Massey are almost like, look, we, he has our approval. And as soon as he doesn't, you're like, uh, uh, no, like say like the Dan Crenshaw's of the world who kind of came in and had this like air of like, a lot of people were like, look at him, how great he is for Liberty. And then he slowly became just a, I never trash. Like, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I didn't know him that well, but I know. Yeah. So I could see like something like a YL or some other entity, like, you know, having him and be like, Oh, look how great he is. But there needs to be some sort of like, you know, really firmness of principles to where it's like, as soon as they cross a certain line, you're like, no, he's not one of us. And so I just brought him up as an example. Yeah. Cause I, he, I think he's a perfect example of that for a lot of people. I mean, you said you paid more attention and you, you caught some of the hints early on. <laughs> uh, a lot of us don't pay as much attention to politics, yeah. and he just he was he was speaking the correct rhetoric at the beginning. So I just want to get your uh, thoughts on the paleo yeah. route, which is essentially kind of what you're promoting as a paleo route, which I definitely prefer it to the LP route. <laughs> yeah. So so uh, well let let let's let's get clear on kind of some of the terminology here. Yeah. So as far as paleo, like, um, 
so I guess I, I mean, I guess there's many different, I guess, labels yeah. I could ascribe to like my political philosophy. I'm just as really readily call myself. Vague. Yeah. <laughs> right. I, I just as readily call myself a libertarian, a conservative, a constitutional conservative, uh, a paleo libertarian. I, I don't know that I would necessarily be, be a paleo conservative. I think that's got, you know, maybe Tho Bishop is more, I don't know, but, um, <laughs> I, um, so, when I say paleo, I just mean using the the the, the yeah. uh, Republican Party essentially. That's how I okay. Use it. All, all right. Yeah. Well, yeah. If, if that's what you mean by it, certainly yeah. I do advocate for a, yeah. a the the Republican strategy. Yes. Um, and so let me kind of back up first. First of all, it's like this is if you are going to go a political route, you should use the vehicle that is most effective for what you want to do. And okay. some people don't want to go the political route. Some people want to advance liberty in other ways. And that, hey, more power to you. I don't think that there's one path that, like, and I think we get caught up in this sometimes in the liberty movement. It's like, we got we, we feel so like, I have the idea, I have the perfect way. And if anyone advocates a different way, then they're wrong and I have to denounce them. And it's like, no, no, no. It's like, if you think you got a better idea on how to advance liberty in our times and plant seeds for the future, do it. And if you do a good job of it, People will follow you and emulate you. And, you know, that. so that's what I've done. I've gone my own way. I've done it my own way. And a lot of people have followed me and, and emulated what I've done. And it's awesome. Truth be told, after 10 years of doing this, it's really awesome to see the fruits that that has borne. But um, so as far as kind of the, the GOP strategy, I mean, I, I like, and I, of course, I had a big debate with Dave Smith. Uh, when was that last year? Yeah, well, thank you. Uh, that was last year sometime. And I think, you know, for me, and I think Dave looks at this very much as, you know, he wants, you know, if you're going to, you know, he wants to run for president and, hey, he'd be a great presidential candidate. He might be, if he wins the LP nomination, he can be the best, you know, uh, LP nominee maybe since since Harry Brown. Like, that'd be great. I got tremendous respect for Dave Smith. But for yeah, the I average regular, yeah, but for the average regular person, if you want to make a, a difference in politics and you're not just counting on, running for president and having this big national platform to get on Joe Rogan and all that, like the average regular person can't do that. Um, certainly when I decided to get involved, like I, I, there was no path to Joe Rogan for me. Like um, I just was some, you know, young 23 year old kid who was sick and tired of watching the politicians spend us trillions of dollars into debt and, you know, wipe their ass with the bill of rights. So I, I got involved you know, on the Ron Paul campaign in 2011, 2012, I found so many people who cared about these ideas of liberty. We worked together. We built a, a strategy. We took over the state Republican Party. Like we defeated the establishment in 2012 at the, the main Republican Party convention. We elected our own convention chair. And then we like elected ourselves and all liberty people to every single position that was like up for election. And we took over the, the the state committee, the governing body of the Republican Party in the state. We we elected two Ron Paul libertarians to represent Maine on the Republican National Committee. And we weren't the only state. You know, in 2012, Nevada was able to do the same. Uh, Minnesota had great results. Iowa, they, they took over the state party over there. There were a lot of big victories in 2012 that you know, while we fell short of the, um, we fell short of you know, getting Ron Paul elected president of the United States, but we really planted some big seeds that, you know, take some time to grow, but are continuing to grow. 
you know, I, I'll always remember realizing how much we were winning when this was back in 2013, maybe going into 14. Um, you know, Barack Obama was trying to take us into Syria. And some of the Ron Paul folks we got elected to the Republican State Committee had resigned. I think it was a, uh, uh, you know, kind of foolish. Um, uh, they made a big show. Some people like they get elected and then they're like, all right, what do we do when we get here? It's like, all right, how do we make a mess of things? Let's. So a lot of people just kind of like resigned in mass. And we lost like half the Ron Paul people that we got elected to these positions. And it was kind of a shame. But then when I was going around trying to get a, a, a letter to our congressional delegation opposing Barack Obama taking us to war in Syria. And here were all these, you know, this party that I thought was like all neocons. And I found like so many of the people who I didn't necessarily put in the Ron Paul category, like we're gladly signing on to this anti-war, we're sick of war re re resolution. And I think that was kind of a show of, of, you know, even without the just kind of Ron Paul people like running everything, we made a mark on the culture of the people around us and the party. And um, and I think that that has continued to play out over the years. I mean, can, I mean, can you imagine? I mean, Donald Trump for all his faults, and there are many, but could you imagine like, we're talking eight years after George W. Bush, when Ron Paul and folks were being drummed out of the Republican party for not supporting the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, and the Republican party nominates a guy who in South Carolina says that the Iraq war was, what did he say? Well, he said it was stronger words than it was a mistake. Like he said, they lied us into it. And we have a, pre we had a president who, a Republican president who was like, yeah, he, like he wasn't, he wasn't a, a principled non-interventionist. He was no Ron Paul. He was no Rand Paul. He was no Thomas Massey, but like he had these instincts and he continually was calling out a lot of these entrenched like special interests, the military industrial complex. I mean, the, 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 the Republican, the base of the Republican party now commonly talks about the military industrial complex. You have Tucker Carlson, who I may disagree with on some economic policy and some social policy, but on the most important issue, which is the war, it's like, oh my goodness. I remember when Bill O'Reilly had that eight o'clock time slot on Fox News. And like, he was the biggest, he was the biggest cheerleader for the wars in Iraq and, and, and just this, this aggressive military policy. Now, Tucker Carlson, who is regularly calling out the deep state, calling out the military uh, industrial complex, like things have come a long way in the Republican party since, since the days of George W. Bush. Now, is it perfect? No, it's not. I frankly, I wish there were more libertarians in the GOP fighting this fight alongside the rest of us. I worry sometimes that kind of, I, I think going into the LP is a bit of a siren song. It's, it's, it's easier to take over the LP than it is to take over the GOP, but it's easier for a reason. It's easier because nobody with any real power is trying to stop you <laughs> because it it's doesn't. Like to what ends, yeah. Them. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, cool. But we were able to. Right. It's kind of it's, it's kind of like it's yeah. kind of like your Ron Paul uh legislators whatever you're talking about where it's kind of like you know step 1, you know, uh, you know build up a coalition whatever blah, blah blah step 2 get elected step 3 I don't know. That's that's kind of the same thing with the LP. Yeah. It's like, well, what are you what are you doing? Like I, I mean like cool, you got a speaking tour. Uh, okay. It's like, yeah. And now you've encouraged people to continue feeding into this entity that has issues i'm not trying to go off an lp thing again i can i can go on yeah over, and, but, and look <laughs> I, right and i have many friends in the lp and yeah. i love them i love them to death i think that look we're all if we all believe in liberty we've got that in common we can disagree on what the best tactics and strategy are and who knows 
maybe I'm wrong and they're right. And there's going to be this huge sea change and the two party system is going to collapse and the libertarian party is going to come in like on a, you know, you know, libertarians on a white horse to save the day. Maybe, maybe that happens. And I would love to be proven wrong. Like if you think I'm wrong, go out and do it and make it happen. And I'll be the yeah. first to like congratulate you when you win. Yeah, that's exactly my thing. I mean, I, I know a lot of people have a negative connotation with people like agorists or people don't don't agree with like political involvement or or really just any different tactics. They always like get mad, but I'm I'm very much the same way. Like, okay, prove me wrong. And a lot of people get upset yeah. too when you like I will have conversations with people of why I think what they're doing is a is not the right way to go. And they'll be like, Well, why don't you just let people do what they do? Well, like, well, part of selling an idea is selling the idea so i i'm trying to convince <laughs> you and it's just like you try yeah. to convince people to go the yale route i'm gonna do the the yeah. opposite and you know like i hopefully the best idea wins out i mean i i don't really i'm not like set on agorism i'm set on whatever gives us more liberty which i think right. kind of comes to the point you're talking about by the conservatives right now where i think there's a lot of fertile ground and yes there may not be libertarians but it's like i think there's more room for liberty so like do we want do we want more libertarians or do we want more liberty? And I think the culture that has been fostered within the Republican Party as of late is very much more conducive right. to liberty. So Right. And, and right now we're in this kind of interregnum in the Republican Party where there's like there's a civil war. There's an identity crisis going on. I mean, this is fertile ground for the liberty movement. That's where we should be. We should be fighting to like to 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 have the Liberty Coalition in the GOP become the dominant faction, which is very possible. I mean, who would have thought eight years ago that the neoconservatives would be on their way out? But they're joining the Democrat Party in mass because it's more it's it, it, the Democrat Party is more welcoming to the Liz Cheney's and the Bill Crystals of the world than the Republican Party is these days. You could never who, if you had predicted this eight years ago, you would have been you've been laughed out. But uh, and of course, you know, props to Scott Horton, as you mentioned, who is, in fact, debating Bill Crystal, the the uh, godfather of neoconservatism. Uh, and I, ha I don't, I'll have to go back and watch the, de the debate, but, uh, Scott's yeah. a good friend and, and I'm sure he's kicking butt. Yeah. I can send you the link if you don't have it, but yeah. And I was thinking, uh, while you were talking about that, that I think there's something too, that we're in this weird spot right now where things are getting crazy with all this COVID stuff. And we're seeing so much authoritarianism, but I think on the other hand, we're also seeing more with there's the yin and the yang the more you have of one the more you have of the other i think and so now that we're getting more authoritarianism i also think in other ways we're seeing more opportunities for liberty or liberty itself and i think there's something to that that they're creating this divide the more authoritarian the government and you know the the liberals or whatever become the more they kind of de facto force the other side to be the opposite i know a lot of people are like oh well what are you conserving whatever that's not the point it's just like we have this fertile ground of people that are like more basically more of a mindset where liberty is possible essentially right. so there's something to be said there and um you know i mean you know, we have talks of like secession stuff like that but whatever whatever gets us there i don't really care I, I actually kind of like the division that is being caused in some ways by a lot of this authoritarianism that's being done because i think when you do that it becomes more obvious the differentiation between authoritarianism and libertarianism essentially so i don't know if you have any thoughts you on that or, or not so i was just kind of yeah comment. <laughs> i mean you know for 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 every action there's an equal and opposite reaction as the left goes full authoritarian look it, and there's gonna there's gonna be a lot of people there's gonna be a lot of people in the republican party and a lot of or the, a lot of people would just identify on the right who are going to be against biden no matter what he does 
So frankly, it's good for us that he's going full authoritarian <laughs> because then we get to point of say, hey, we're the opposite of that guy. We are, you know, he, you know, we, we, you know, like, I mean, and truthfully, like pretty much like, can you think of a single policy? I mean, maybe getting it out of Afghanistan, but I, you know, on the one and hand, you fuck that up. <laughs> yeah. yeah sort of. Up. I mean, but, I don't know. But, you can quibble over right. that. Yeah. Sorry. No, derail. But, but even, even there, I, I, I really, I really doubt. I, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe, maybe Joe Biden would have gotten us out of Afghanistan one way or the other. I, I doubt it, but I really kind of think, you know, he was kind of backed into a corner by the peace deal that Trump negotiated where it's like, we either pull out or we do a major surge in there that will, you know, just be pointless and just delay the inevitable. So I think he made the calculation that, all right, we got to get out. And I'm going to try to take credit for it and pretend like I'm this big non-interventionist as I move the troops into Syria to fight a war there that was never declared by Congress. Yeah, um, we were talking pre a little bit, too. I think it's more that they're reallocating things because I think they're starting to realize they're overextended, but now it's starting to move inward. And we were kind of talking about it a little bit in pre-recording. Uh, so, yeah, there's definitely something there. I mean, that's obviously been a little conspiratorial. It's hard to tell. You're just conjecturing. But, yeah. Sorry, let me throw you off. You're you're still going. No, I mean, I mean, by move inward, I do you mean like they're starting to like the war on terror is on us now? Sort of, yes, but it's uh, they're cutting down the forces. It's going to be kind of like I think a lot like 2014. Like a lot of people know, I was in uh, actively military not too long ago. Still have a lot of friends in there, and a lot of stuff with vaccine stuff. They're definitely shaping their force up a little bit. They're kind of cutting people out who don't want to go along. Um, and yeah. I think it's, you know, it's kind of, it's a twofold thing. They're reducing their forces. So there's the money aspect of it. And then also the other side where you're creating a more compliant culture within yeah. your armed forces. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I know a lot of people get conspiratorial and think, uh, you know, oh, they're, they're going to turn the guns on us or whatever. And I don't, I was, I'm the first to say that I don't see the culture there yet, but yet, I mean, five, 10, 15 years from now, after right. they do policies like this, I can see something more like that. So. Yeah. yeah, I mean, uh, how much things have changed over the course yeah. of two years? Yeah, where, where, where? I mean, <laughs> and we have been pitted. The American people, we have been pitted against each other so much, and I, I, I who knows what's possible? I mean, people, people are really starting to feel like civil war could happen. Uh, I hope that's not true. Uh, and but you, you, you do kind of, you do kind of notice. And we were talking about this before we went on air, I think it's, it's, it's a worthwhile conversation to have. Like you can't help but notice like these vaccine mandates and firing people who don't comply, whether it is a, an intended effect or an unintended effect, it's impossible not to notice that there is a purge taking place in many power structures in society from the military to the education system, to the healthcare system, and the, it's a purge of anti-authoritarians. It's a purge of those who ask questions, who do not blindly do what they're told. And as we have seen, I mean, we can look at, I mean, you know, I, I, I don't know the structure of the military nearly so well as you do. So I don't want to talk about, you know, something I, I'm not an expert in, but let's talk about like the healthcare system. I mean, they have been for years incrementally moving us closer and closer towards this complete government control of the healthcare system. Obamacare was a big leap forward with that, with kind of basically 
government consuming the insurance marketplace and expanding Medicaid to get more and more people under government a government payer system. But there are roadblocks to government control, including people inside the system who, you know, aren't going to don't go along with all of the mandates who don't go along with all of the laws passed from Washington, D.C. You have doctors and nurses who like ask questions and and kind of, you know, don't, yeah, just, don't just do what they're told. So in one fell swoop, you can get rid of most of those people. Uh, it's um, whether it's intended or unintended, that seems to be what's happening. And and uh, this is this is wow. Bernie care is being pushed in the three point five trillion dollar reconciliation bill. And not enough people are talking about this, but like w Bernie is taking us a big leap closer. You know this 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 bill he's pushing to uh, uh, a complete single payer system. And I know some people like the sound of single payer. Oh, I won't have to pay for my health care. Won't it be nice? But there's the old golden rule. Uh, I mean, the one from Aladdin, not the one from the Bible, the one from Aladdin. He who has the gold makes the rules. A single payer means the, the single entity that is paying is in charge of everything. You get your care. You The care you get is what they decide that you get. Yeah, and, no, if you uh, if you haven't yeah. gone through these past couple of years and not seen that, hey, maybe giving them more control isn't the way to go. Uh, I don't know what to tell you because, I mean, one of the biggest things about why this past couple of years have been so fucked is because they have their dirty claws in everything. So it's coming down to where yeah. the delineation between public and private is borderline impossible to find at this point. So like you know, this is where they are kind of getting into the healthcare system. So it's like. I mean, I'll touch on it real quick. Uh, a lot of people are mad at me on Twitter right now because I said uh, my, they kind of have my balls in a vice grip right now with the healthcare thing because I'm in a situation where I very well may end up having to get it. I literally, I've had it already. I've had uh, had COVID. I fucking, I literally, I was sick for like a day or two. Bad. I like, I was tired for like a week and had like a lingering cough. It was nothing. I've had worse colds. Mm -hmm. But like, anyways, uh, I've have it. I I have natural immunity now. Uh, but my one of my one of my many jobs is still requiring it, and I would just walk away. But the healthcare is what I need. My wife's an epileptic, so I have that. Yeah. And but it's like if we hadn't had them so involved in our Medicare medical system, I would probably have a be much easier to go just jump off and go get my own private insurance or whatever. But yeah. now I'm in a spot where yeah. it's like for a family it costs like a thousand ish, you know, just for that. And so it's like. I mean, obviously, I'm going to drag my feet, do whatever I can not to, you know, I mean, but at the end of the day, and I'm trying to work other hustles and stuff to see if I can somehow right. magically get out of it. But at the end of the day, uh, my ultimate responsibility is my family. A lot of people are upset about that. But yeah. if, if I got to do what I got to yeah. do, I got to do what I got to do. And I don't really, yeah. a lot of people are like, you shouldn't say that. You know, you're, you're empowering people to not comply. I'm like, I don't really give a damn. I'm just telling, being honest with you. So, <laughs> but, yeah. you know, like I'm doing everything I can not to, but at the end of the day, my ultimate responsibility is to my family. But yeah, right. no, I do think there's something to be said there and how they've gone into everything and make it so that they can control you even more. Like you said, with like who has the gold type thing. So yeah, I actually wanted to bring up the medical stuff because I, I listened to one of your mo most recent episodes on your show um, and mm. you were talking about that. And I do think there's an interesting, there's a lot of interplay there with the, the medical stuff going on, obviously with COVID and just, it is just insanity, you know, how they are able to. I mean, I don't know exactly the mechanisms and what they went they went about it with like firing all the nurses and stuff in New York, but I would assume they probably had were playing off of some, you know, aspect of like 
it, the medical system is somewhat controlled by the government and that's how they yeah. just be that authoritarian you know what i mean right so go it ahead was it was it was exactly that so uh, you know and, and maybe it's different state by state by state in terms of how they're doing this maybe there's some states that are just saying you know you got to fire your people but you know uh hospital s- systems could turn around and say so what um what they're doing though what at least what joe biden is doing is he is threatening Medicare and Medicaid reimbursements, which is because government paid healthcare, we're already, you know, we're, <laughs> we're so much closer to a single payer system than many realize so many people are covered under Medicare and Medicaid. And the, the healthcare systems are dependent on that money. The government comes in and says, you got to fire all your unvaccinated staff, including those with acquired immunity, or if you have even one on staff, you will not get Medicare or Medicaid reimbursements. You will not get paid by Medicare or Medicaid for, for these services. And so, yeah, that's that's Washington, D.C. throwing its, its power around. And of course, this is the crazy thing is, you know, is that their money? Like, no, of course not. Where did they get that money from? They stole it from us. They, they steal it from us, from our paychecks with taxes, our future with debt, the value of our savings and retirement with inflation. And and they put it through this kind of Washington money laundering machine. They hand it out to their special interests. So we'll always get a cut of whatever goes in there. And then whatever we get back is the scraps, but we're stuck begging even for those scraps of our own money back. And they always comes with strings attached. So you want your own money back? You better do what we tell you. And that's how it is in Washington, D.C. these days. Our, fa- our founders would be just appalled to know that this is what the system has become. Yeah, no, this, like I said, these past couple of years, it's been a perfect example of how they've infected everything. So in a certain sense, they we have through previous instances where it wasn't a big deal, we've kind of allowed them to build up the system. And now here it is being thrown back at us. And it's, you, in a certain sense, almost don't really have a leg to sort of stand on in a sense, because it's like, yeah, Medicare, Medicaid, those are government controlled. So it's like, I mean, yes, obviously, as a libertarian, you'd be like, you know, whatever, but you have kind of granted them that control. So it's like, what did you expect? And this is where they tug on the right. strings of the private. They don't necessarily ever really, I mean, there probably have been some examples, but mostly they're not really being like, you know, hey, private market, you do this in the end. There is always some string they're tugging on of like, hey, remember this thing we gave you? We can take it away. Or, or hey, this thing that's ours, it's not yours anymore. And that's how they're playing it. And this is what I was kind of talking about with the public-private divide and how it's borderline impossible to tell a difference, which, I mean, that's probably one of the biggest things I've learned for the past couple of years is I think sometimes uh, some of the socialists had some points. I mean, I'm not saying they're right, but there's something to we as libertarians or conservatives very much didn't focus on the private side of things. But there definitely is something there. And uh, I'm, I'm still more of a libertarian or conservative, but we definitely had our I think like Ayn Randian type uh, perspective really poisoned a lot of our thinking to where we, we we uphold corporations as these magical things. But we're starting to, I think a lot of us realize that they're kind of created by the state. They're literally granted their power by the state and the right. state can easily pull power away from them. So there's something to being wary of these systems. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, I, I mean, I would say certainly, you know, it's not free enterprise that's the problem. The problem is... It's kind of controlled enterprise. Um, you know, I, I, yeah, I think, you know, I oftentimes think that this is the, one of the primary points of, of, of 
disagreement between those on the left and those on the right when it comes to economics. Um, and I, I don't think it's something that people often really recognize. This is their kind of their core assumption, but but I think this is it, is that those on the right, we consider markets to be decentralizing forces and government to be a centralizing force. Those on the left consider markets to be centralizing forces that, you know, that they think that it's inevitable if the market is left alone, that that economic power is going to concentrate in the hands of a few. And so you need some outside force, a.k.a. the government, to come along and yank it all apart. Now, I think that really, you know, what that misses is the fact that when you look at these mega corporations, when you look at, you know, m monopolies that have existed today and throughout history, there's always a government grant of privilege involved. It is the government that is putting these select privileged firms in that pr pr privileged position, insulating them from market competition. Because, I, you know, I think this is where the left gets it wrong. It is not a given that in a free marketplace, the big guys always win. We have seen little guys come along all the time in marketplaces and conquer the big guys. Big companies tend to be less adaptive to changing market environments. They can be very bureaucratic, slow to change. Whereas, you know, the, the new little firm on the block is nimble, you know, and it can adapt and seize opportunities that the big guys might list. And before you know, they are the big guys yeah. and the, the old big guys have fallen. But, uh, but I think the left really misses this, uh, that, uh, that, you know, markets, uh, Markets are a decentralizing force. Uh, if you want to stay on top, you have to be constantly working to satisfy the customers. You cannot rely on your past successes. But yeah. oh, uh, the only competitive advantage the big guys always have over the little guys is political clout and friends in Washington. Yep. I put out a tweet the other day that I think is kind of pertinent to that. I thought it was, I said the irony of egalitarianism is that the more that you push for it, the less of it there is. So uh, it's kind of like the, these, yeah. the, the leftists, the socialists, they, they push for this, like, we need to make everything equal. And, uh, and they end up just empowering the corporations, empowering, you know, you know, whether it be like communism and, you know, you, some big guy yeah. on top, but, you know, in a true free market, there wouldn't really be like, there probably would be something resembling kind of corporations, but I actually don't think we'd have these mega businesses like we do, like the Walmarts, the Amazons. I mean, I think there'd be something akin to it or smaller, but it'd be so much more decentralized and more in, in a funny way, more egalitarian, although that's not the goal. Mm. Like the, the less you push for egalitarianism, kind of in a sense, the more you get. I mean, never, I don't think we'd ever naturally, I think hierarchy is natural. I don't think we'd ever have a perfect egalitarian system, but it's like the less you push for it, the more of it there is. So, which is the great irony. Yeah. And actually, well, a lot of the anarcho-socialists and anarchist communists actually were kind of right on in a lot of ways. So, but yeah, yeah. Um, but I did want to ask, I actually meant to <laughs> caveat into my last question and then I got thrown off. I uh, was just wondering how 2020 has changed your thinking. Cause that, for me, that's what that was where I was getting at with, it has really kind of made me look at some of the notes from the left and see what they had right and what they had wrong and kind of really shaped my thinking a little bit differently. So I'm kind of mm -hmm. curious how if 2020 has shaped, changed your thinking at all. Mm. Oh, real quick. I did want to say Larry said, made you look. 
and that mean you super chatted you gave me money so i'll do it and uh <laughs> isaiah said that this is th there is something too that he said it's fascism because that is a big thing i think we had our eye on the ball of communism thinking that it was going to be communism was going to be a big bad but it ended up being fascism so which is the melding of corporate and state so yeah. you know I, I like to think in the context of history there's like there are three there are three major power structures there is state power theological power and economic power and the founders were smart they wanted to keep all of these power structures separate uh and and i and ideally they wanted them they, they didn't want any of them to get concentrated either they don't want monopolies in anything they didn't want monopolies in commerce or theology or 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 the state. You know that's why they create all the checks. And at least on the state side, they created the checks and balances, not just you know between the three branches, but also between the states and the federal government. They did everything to keep power from concentrating in one place. But I mean, the tendency, you know, it, among people and the desire for power that's an inherent to human nature is that you know over over two hundred fifty years that power has has drifted into one spot in Washington, D.C. That has become the one-stop shop for government power. And now we are seeing that, um, you know, the, the, the founders, you know, we often hear about the separation of church and state, why we need to keep these two things separate, because we can look back to like the dark ages when, you know, the Catholic church and, the, and you know, the Catholic church and, and the European governments were like very much interlinked, you know, and, and kind of all the harm that did. Um, but now we're seeing, you know, we're seeing the, the merger of economics and state of these big corporate interests. You know, it's, um, yeah, it is a kind of fascism. And the sad thing is that so many of these woke leftists are, you know, um, they are, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, they are, I want to say willful, willful idiots, um, they don't realize that they're serving the very people that they claim to be against. Mm -hmm. They're serving the big corporate interests. They are paving the way for this total economic control. They say that they want bigger government to fight the big corporate interests, but I mean, they always, but they also point out at the same time that the problem with the government is that the corporations control everything in the government. So why would you give that government more power? That doesn't make any sense. Who's going to be? Who's going to write the regulations to govern these industries? It's going to be the big companies in those industries. Their means run contrary to their ends, basically. It's just, they, have, they have. They're like, I want this, and then the things you're doing does exactly that. Is basically, but yes, <laughs> I get what yeah. you're getting at. Yeah, you know? they need to read. They need to read economics in one lesson. The, <laughs> you know, understand the unintended consequences, not just not just the immediate things that you're trying to achieve. Yeah. Anyone out there who's wanting to get into like any sort of anything, economics in one lesson and how to win friends and influence people. You do those two books and you can you can get you can do pretty well in life. So, yeah. Obviously, there's more to it than that. But that's that's the basics. You, you need to know economics, then you know how to interact with people. and You're good. <laughs> um, yeah, that 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 uh, how to win friends and influence people isn't isn't often included in like the libertarian like uh uh, you know, recommended reading list, but it's an important one. I, I certainly read how to win friends and influence people before I ran for office. And it was so helpful going door to door and winning votes, you, you know, to know simple things like the most important word in the English language is someone's name. Everyone loves to hear their name. Right, Jose? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You won me over now. I'm a, I'm a fucking paleo. Let's do it. Uh, but no, yeah, it's, a, I know it's, it's silly. You read the book, how to win friends and influence people. And it actually is legit. Like 
it, most of it's so common sense, but it is really just to pound it in a little bit more. It, it, you'd be surprised how so many people have just basic social acumen is just gone. <laughs> it does not Especially in libertarian so. circles. <laughs> and I yeah. and I say that lovingly as someone who yeah. when I was much when I was younger, I was a very, very socially awkward kid and uh you know had to had to learn social graces the hard way so yeah i, th I think trial that and might error. be whatever little bit of success or whatever the hell it is i have here is probably do that i was more of like a jock but i was also like smart so i kind of like yeah. balanced those two things to where it's like i was kind of i don't know i'm not in I, I have a little bit of tism but not too much you know <laughs> so <laughs> I was, i'm able to kind of mediate that so uh I, don't know, I I joke that I'm a I'm a retard who reads books and then translates it for other retards. That's what I do. So, uh, but yeah. Um, so let's, I'm gonna give you a chance to talk about YAL because I, I do want to hear more about it. I want to see if it kind of fits into what I was saying about what my idea for a good paleo, uh, you know, strategy would be. Because I, I to touch on it real quick, I did a I read Emma Goldman a while back, and she talks about mm. the majority and the minority and how they work, like how you have the minorities and how they always build up things. Essentially, it's elitism, elitism and populism. And essentially, she's kind of ironically as a lefty, you know, proposing that elitism is the way to go. And I think, in a sense, if you if you set that up within the paleo system, like or the conservative system, like you have a you know essentially an insulated group like YL that like is very strict to their, you know, uh, principles or whatever, and they influence the larger group, it kind of is essentially, I mean, it, it's, it's elitism populism is kind of a false binary in a sense, but essentially mm -hmm. you have these people that are like, have these, these principles that then others are drawn to and it brings them up. But the problem becomes if they ever become the majority, then the, the message gets diluted. And that's why I think there actually is usefulness to like things like small caucuses within like, you know, like a, the conservative party or even the, right. the Democrat party or something that are like, have right. a very specific mission and, and how that can affect. And so that's kind of what I'm getting at here. So I'll give you a chance to, you know, give a rundown of what YAL is for everybody. And I'm kind of curious yeah. if it kind of fits my concept of what a good, you know, useful way, uh, way of utilizing the conservative conservative yeah. or the Republican party would be. So, well, well, first of all, let me say, you know, a lot of the, uh, you know, um, well, first of all, so Young Americans for Liberty is, I should say up front, is a nonpartisan organization. Like, it's not a Republican organization. It's not a big L libertarian organization. Certainly not a Democrat organization. It's just, it's just hard to find ones on a certain side. <laughs> right. We are we are a liberty organization. And, and Young Americans for Liberty actually began as students for Ron Paul. Uh, formed out of the 2008 Ron Paul campaign and then just kept going. Today, we have over 500 chapters on college campuses across the country. We, we, we identify, educate, train, and mobilize young people on college campuses, not just to fight back on the college campuses, and we do plenty of that, fighting back against out-of-control college administrators, you know, shutting down free speech, imposing masks and vaccine mandates, like what Young Americans for Liberty is leading the charge and we have sued many universities, and we we have a pretty good win record when it comes to winning winning those suits against um, these these administrators. But that that was kind of where Young Americans for Liberty was our our our, our pretty much our big focus. Uh, it, it is still a one of our focuses, but that was our pretty much our, our big focus until about uh, 20, 2018. 2018, we started something new. 
It's called Operation Win at the Door. And what we realized is we have this young army of liberty-loving activists who are making a difference on college campuses all the time. How about we make a difference at the ballot box while we're at it? And so we mobilize, we, we hire our young activists, we, we send them out door to door to knock doors for candidates that we have identified, we have thoroughly vetted, and we have made sure on that they are in alignment uh, You know, on two things. One, that they are ideologically aligned, they're principled, tough as nails, like, you know, um, that they're not going to be like these establishment squishes who just go whichever way the wind blows, that they are, that they are strong on liberty. And the second thing we look for is, do they have a path to victory? Those are the only two things we look for. We don't look at their, we, we, you know, the, we don't care about the party label, you know, it, it, in le- it, it, except to the point where the party label makes them electable or unelectable. And we've, 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 we've endorsed many libertarian party candidates. In fact, I believe Young Americans for Liberty still holds the record of more money spent on libertarian party candidates for state legislative office than any organization in the country, including the libertarian party. So we, we have put, put money in libertarian party races, but we, we've only won one of them because it's very hard to win as a libertarian party candidate. There's a guy, Marshall Burt out of Wyoming who won, he won a two way race. There was no Republican in the race. So he was able to run as a libertarian, take on a Democrat, gather all of the Republican votes and, and, you know, it basically not split the conservative faction off from the Liberty faction. And so he was able to, to win. Now that, you know, he's a libertarian party state representative in Wyoming. Good for him. But over, we have, we have now over 170 elected, state legislators across the country in 37 states. These are folks who are leading the charge for things like constitutional carry, for cannabis rights, uh, repealing civil asset forfeiture laws, uh, passing school choice legislation. These are hardcore folks. These are folks kind of, you know, following the model created by Ron Paul during his time in Congress. That's the model I tried to follow when I was in the state Senate. And I've tried to, and I'm working now to help impart that liberty legislator model onto others. And this is, I, I really got to say, I think this is one of the most exciting things happened in the liberty movement, in, to, you know, to my mind. It doesn't get all of the attention and flash as like, you know, someone's running for president or someone's doing these big flashy races. But at the end of the day, if we're going to defeat this Washington system, it's not going to come from Washington, D.C., we can get a good, few good people in there and they do good. I mean, I'm glad we got Rand Paul there. I'm glad we got Thomas Massey there. You know, they are using their bully pulpit to spread the message. And occasionally they, they are speed bumps on the road to tyranny. And we need some more speed bumps on the road to tyranny. But at the end of the day, they're, they're slowing it down. If we want to really defeat the Washington machine, this direct assault strategy only goes so far. We need to take the indirect path. We need to go around, we need to surround them and cut off the supply lines. That means going into the state legislatures and nullifying unconstitutional federal laws, passing defend the guard legislation to tell, to tell Congress in Washington, D.C. that they will not send our state National Guard troops overseas in any more wars unless Congress is willing to put their own names on the dotted line and declare the war as they are constitutionally obligated to do. We can uh, nullify gun control laws, as some of our legislators in Missouri have done already, passing Second Amendment Preservation Act, saying, hey, you know what? Our guns, are if they're made in Missouri, sold in Missouri, used in Missouri, I'm sorry, that's not interstate commerce. 
federal government, go mind your own business. You're not enforcing your laws here. There are so many things we can do on the state level to not just fight back against state tyranny, but to undermine the totalitarian system that is being built up in Washington, D.C. And I say this as someone who's served two terms in state legislative office and has run twice for federal office. And I tell you, with all that perspective, I'm looking, geez, if we're going to re- make a real difference, it's the, the states are the important fight right now. So that, that maybe was a little bit of a long explanation. Anyway, my You're point good. is, Young Americans for Liberty, we make liberty win. Yeah, no, I actually uh, think you even – I set out a, 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 a vague concept of what I was looking for for my third order of preference of what which way to go, and you actually made it the case for it even better because – I was thinking you guys only served like one party, but that's even better because you're, you're essentially swimming in a larger pond. And because I was kind of getting at the dichotomy of being a minority within a majority and having a strong message, I think actually, for one, it, it insulates your message to where it's less corruptible when you're in a larger pond and because uh, you have you're less likely to become the majority. And uh, yeah, so I, I think that's actually great. So, I mean, obviously, like I, it's not my first order of preference, but it like it would be agorism, then it would be the uh, the Hoppian route, and then it, this would probably be my third because uh, I didn't realize yeah. you guys served other ones. But yeah, that's actually great. Uh, I think that's really good. So yeah, and I, and I will say, and I will say, I think going back to what we were saying before, like, look, I think there are so many paths to advance liberty. I happen to be really good at the political path, <laughs> you know, and and putting pressure on politicians to you know get our gun rights back and stuff like that. And so that's where I apply, you know, my skills, and I invite others to join me there. But I also like, look, I've got like, you know, back in 2012 and 2008, when Ron Paul and all supporters were calling for like ending the Federal Reserve, uh, I have a lot of friends who went off and like didn't do politics at all. They got really involved in as early adopters for this thing called Bitcoin. And now they looks like they might end the Federal Reserve and they didn't need politics to do it. So good on them. You know, that's that's awesome. You know. However we fight for liberty, let's just make sure we're fighting the best that we can, that we uh, do it as a, you know, we, we try to be effective in actually, you know, um, making a difference and that we also cut each other some slack and don't act like we know it all and that our yes. way is the only way. There's a lot yes. of ways to fight for liberty and I appreciate everyone who's in this fight alongside us. Yeah, I always compare this to, I, I'm, I'm an atheist, a lot of people know that watch my show, and but I've always made the case, there was a period of time when I went from being religious to atheist to where I was what people would describe as an angry atheist. And I found over time that like, you, when you're an angry atheist, you're coming from this place because you feel like, oh, I've been lied to my whole life. And you're like, and there's also this part of like, I want to convince people that they've been lied to as well. But then you realize that like, hey, if you actually want to convince people, being an asshole does not help. Like no one wants to interact with you. And I'm not saying you should be this autistic individual that's always interacting with every person with the hopes of convincing them to your message. But if you just act like a normal person that doesn't have a chip on your shoulder and you just have an opinion that you don't back down of unless you get presented different evidence, it seems to work a whole lot better than being a dick. Like like once you're a dick, it throws people off. That's the end of it. Right. So like with the different strategies, it's like I think – I've been saying for a while now that there are obviously there's these these people within the movement. They're like, so-and-so is a racist. So-and-so is this. So-and-so is that. Those people should be laughed off and thrown to the side. But now like stuff like us, what we're doing right here, where we have different thoughts on strategy and stuff like that, I think you should be handled like adults and talked about in that way. And no one should, you should try not to, you know, give anyone sort of of bad faith because we're literally, 
there were literally like uh, in anatomy of the state rothbard breaks down that like we don't really know the strategy this is this is our this is this generation's task to figure out the strategy or get closer to the correct strategy so we don't know and we need to be coming from it from this honest perspective of it's a discovery process and so we need to be open with each other and realize that we don't know and we're figuring out as we go so yeah 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 <laughs> but <laughs> well it's uh, uh yeah it, look there there's there's um there's a lot of ways to fight and find the way that you know find that find the way to fight for for liberty that gets you excited to wake up and do it every single day or or in the time that you do have because <laughs> you got to be pretty passionate to do this especially if you, you you're not fortunate enough to have a job doing this full-time you're working a full-time job and then in your spare time you're doing this on top of it or you're taking care of a family or what have you so like you know, do fight for liberty in the way that, you know, that you'll actually do and will actually kind of make a difference. And I'll tell you, you know, I think people get dispirited all the time and think that like, oh, you know, we're just a bunch of regular people. I think people feel so much these days. I think so much of the angst that exists in society these days is people just feeling totally powerless, pushed around, like nothing they, they do has any impact on the outcomes of what, what, what their government does. And that's true in Washington, D.C., but that's not true for your state legislature. I know because like we got constitutional carry passed through a Democrat controlled house of representatives. We're the only state to have ever done that. It wasn't, it wasn't like we have like some secret sauce. It's that we got regular people involved. We got voters involved and we told the politicians what we expected to, th to them to do, how we expected them to vote or we would fire them. It's as simple as that. Like that's something you can do. Pick up the phone An issue comes up, pick up the phone, call your representative, Tell them what you think. Tell them how you expect them to vote. And if it's an important enough issue, tell them that you will vote against them and your family will vote against them if they do it wrong. And that's mm -hmm. that's how you get the wrong people to do the right thing. All right. I got a super chat here. Jack Spierko wrote a blog many years ago. Jack Spierko is great, by the way. You guys should go check him out. Uh, I forget his, his uh, channel or whatever, but he's more about like survivalist type stuff. So that's interesting stuff. But he wrote a blog many years ago that letting go of a paradigm like religion or says, and we go through the stages of grief, including anger. And yeah, I agree. Yeah, uh, that's kind of what I was getting at. I just think we need to also become mature and realize that, uh, I mean, I guess anger is one of those things that can be put to good use, but most of the time it's generally not put to good use because a lot of times we're just doing it for our own benefit and there's not an actual benefit that's occurring. It just makes yeah. you feel better. So, um, but yeah, I, I want to ask you what your thoughts in the future are. And then I think we'll probably start wrapping from there. So if anyone wants to do super chats, now's the time. But yeah, uh, I'm, I'm kind of curious what your thoughts on the future going forward. I always find it interesting what people's thoughts are. I have my own thoughts. Obviously, we're just conjecturing here. But it's a very yeah. interesting, weird time here in 2021. So I don't think anyone really knows what the hell is going to happen. But we have some thoughts. So I'm kind of curious what yours are. Yeah, I, I think that... Um... I don't know. I mean, just like predictions. <laughs> I think the dollar is going to fail. <laughs> We're going to have a Bitcoin standard. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, hopefully it's not the one standard. Um, I think that uh, the centralization of government power in Washington, D.C. is unsustainable in a country this large as we are, where we are over 300 million people. We're very culturally diverse across the country. And I don't have a problem with that. I'm not like, I'm not for cultural hegemony. I don't, I don't think that there needs to be one culture in this country and we all need to live under this cultural standard. Like, no, I, you do you, you want to do your own thing, do your own thing. Like 
do do it your way. But we can't live with each other because everything now is a question up for vote in Washington, D.C. every two to four years. And so we're at each other's throats. If we keep going this route of the centralization of power in Washington, D.C., one of two things is going to happen. It's going to uh, eventually there will be a civil war or the union will peacefully break up. I personally, neither of those are my choice. I would much rather see us restore the 10th Amendment and maintain the union and and like, you know, uh, just follow the Constitution. But I don't know. Maybe I'm naive to think that that's even possible at this point. It's not seeming too likely. (laughs) But uh, I mean, I don't know. We could all dream, I guess. I mean, I don't know. Um, So, yeah, with that, I think uh, this this has been really good. I really enjoyed having you on. Uh, Thank you for giving me your time. Uh, Yeah. Uh, It's been a pleasure talking with you, Jose. Oh, no, it's been fun. Uh, You want to go ahead and drop your plugs? I know you have your new show. You're about like 20 episodes in. I listened to a couple episodes. I really enjoyed it. I I think you're on to something there. So. I, I appreciate it. I'm still I'm still getting the hang of this podcasting thing. We just recorded episode 18 today. We talked about uh, the news that uh, in many the, the national public uh, the school boards association is ca- asking Joe Biden to use the Patriot Act on angry parents who are protesting mask and vaccine mandates, calling them domestic terrorists. So that's crazy. Anyway, we're talking about that today on the podcast, which is Free America Now. You can find Free America Now on Spotify or SoundCloud or Apple Podcasts. Occasionally, we do a video episode that makes its way onto social media platforms as well. We just interviewed one of our legislators in Idaho who's been a champion for Defend the Guard legislation. His name is Representative Ben Adams. Uh, So we're doing that, but you can follow that, uh, Free America Now. You can also follow me on Twitter at Senator Brakey, right as it says on the video there. Uh, by my name, Senator Brakey, and you can follow me on Facebook as well, where uh, I post there. All right. Uh, as always, you can find me on the No Way Jose YouTube channel. Uh, I'm all the, all the major audio podcatchers. I'm on Odyssey as well. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I have fun on there, at Galison Jose. Uh, I like money, so give me that. Patreon.com says so No Way Jose 2020. Like, share, subscribe, all that good stuff that you're supposed to do on YouTube. Uh, with that, I'm about to run an ad. And uh, if you want to stick around, Eric, we can talk and post. If not, I won't be offended. But I'm going to go and play an ad, and then uh, we'll kill it. Uh, thank you, everyone, right. for being here, and I appreciate you for coming as well. Oh, damn it. Sorry. All right. Boom. If you love playing fantasy football but struggle to find the right resource to help with your research, the guys at Football Insider Edge have you covered. Whether you are a season-long player, focused on DraftKings or FanDuel contests, or just like to make the occasional wager each week on a couple of games, Football Insider Edge provides you with the research tools and in-depth analysis to take your game to the next level. With their proprietary model, matchup charts, and industry award-winning content, the team at Football Insider Edge have devoted themselves to educating their subscribers, helping them improve their play, and a few special moments winning life-changing money. They are proud of the community they've built through weekly interaction on their Slack chat channel and take great pride in helping others to achieve their goals of becoming better fantasy players. As supporters of the show and of the Liberty Movement as a whole, they are currently offering a 20% discount on any monthly or full season plan on their website. Just go to footballinsideredge.com and use the code JOSE at checkout to take advantage of the discount offer today. So if you guys are fantasy football people, go check this out. It's a win-win-win. I win, you win, they win. There's no loss here. It's fucking capitalism, baby. Let's do it.